Uh, first of all, thank you all for joining me today to talk about all things Bojack Horseman, and specifically the Emmy-nominated episode Free Churro. Uh, before we get started, would you mind introducing yourselves? Uh, sure. I'm Raphael Bob Waxberg. I'm the creator and showrunner of the show, as well as the writer of the episode Free Churro. I'm uh, Michael Hollingsworth. I'm the supervising director of BoJack. I'm Amy Winfrey. I was the director of the episode. Okay, thank you so much. Um, when did the idea of having what's essentially an episode-long monologue first come up, and who was the first person who suggested it? Who gets who gets to claim that uh, that title? Um, well, I'm the only writer in this interview, so I'll take full credit. Nice. <laughs> but it probably came out of the writer's room. Every season we work on the show, we, we, you know, one thing we talk about early on when we're, we're breaking the season, figuring out the season, is, you know, what kind of episodes do we want to do this year? Are there any different kinds of things that we haven't done before. Um, and I, I really uh, enjoy a challenge or something that, that pushes the form of what we do or, or makes us think about the story in a new way. Uh, and so the idea of doing an episode that was one long monologue was really interesting to me. And so that, that kind of came first, with the, the, the form of it, the idea that we were going to do an episode that was just BoJack talking for 20-odd minutes Um and then from there, we talked about, okay, well, what are, what are stories that would justify that format? You know, why, why would he be talking for a long time? And what could we do to make the episode feel special that it feels like, okay, you're not just walking, watching BoJack, you know, on the phone ranting at a, a customer service representative, although we've also done an episode about that. Um, you know, what, what would make it feel like, oh, yeah, this, this merits the time we're giving it. And, uh, his relationship with his mother is something that was very fraught, uh, particularly in the previous season, season four. Um, and so it felt like that would that would justify uh, doing an episode like that. Yeah, I remember Raphael uh, had been talking about that for a few seasons. And his first, when he was initially talking about it, you you kept saying you wanted to do a whole episode where it was a monologue in one solid shot with yeah. no cut. <laughs> and, and what would that be like? And I just kept thinking of the storyboards and the overseas studios. Like, I'm sure you have a lot of um, listeners who are actual animators. And to have, like, a 25-minute file, like uh, one yeah. <laughs> yeah, one long scene I've file. I've definitely encountered problems with a three-minute file and all the animators shooting dagger looks at me when I walk by when they're fixing <laughs> that up on the back end. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been maybe too too much. Yeah, <laughs> we got pretty close. There was an episode that Amy directed where Diane and Bojack are having a long conversation after. Yeah. Um, was that three minutes long? That take? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, a little break in the middle. The overseas yeah. studio had to, even though there was no cuts in the whole scene, the overseas studio had to break it up into like five files. Yeah, and um, just like sew it back all sew it back together and edit. And I remember when I was talking to Raphael when he was initially wanting to do one in um just one long cut, I, all I could keep thinking of is like he'd have to keep returning to a home base, a home pose. So we could make the secret cuts, right. invisible cuts. Yeah, like the like in rope, like right. the Hitchcock movie or whatever. Well that's what I understand. I feel like in animation it's very easy to do those invisible cuts because you can just place the the flash puppet in an identical pose, yeah. right? Or is it not not as easy as it that? It wouldn't be. It's just the, the longer the file gets, just the heavier it right. gets. But it's true. You could break it up. You could break it up. You could break it up, yeah. But we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think, you know, I, like I said, I, I love a challenge. I think one thing that we've really been uh, praised for on the show is 
some of our, our very our lush animation sequences and our, our background gags and side characters, um, as well as the, the rat-a-tat dialogue. So to, to limit ourselves and take away all of those tools uh, felt like a fun challenge for both us on the writing side and on the animation side. And we're one of the few shows that has rat-a-tat dialogue with actual rats. Real rats. Real rats. <laughs> They're really catting each other. <laughs> This is great. I want to talk about, I want to come back to the script and kind of like cracking the story and how you came about that. But since we're talking about sort of the animation side of things, because of the complications, the difficulties that this extended monologue kind of poses, like you just talked about, did you ever think about or um, suggest maybe doing more flashback sequences with a narration over it or any kind of ways to break it up so that it would, it would make it a little easier on the animators and also not just be kind of this this bottle episode, which you never get to see for animation for different reasons. Yeah, when when we first started looking at the script, we were a little concerned, can we pull this off? But then we we went to the table read and heard Will Arnett actually do the script, and it, it seemed so compelling that at that moment I felt like, let's just go for this, let's make, let's not even see the organist, because that was a discussion as well, like, mm-hmm. do we want to see the one other character that's in the room? Um, but it seemed like a fun challenge to to avoid that and to you yeah, know. I remember at our, our, our pre-sum meeting at the beginning, I offered, you know, if this if you think it's going to get boring, you can maybe show some of these flashbacks that he's describing, and 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 you really said I, I'd like to try to not. I, I think we can we cannot do it, and I think the the challenge then was making his face interesting the whole way through. And I you know I I was really excited when I found out Amy was directing this episode because she's done episodes before that have been very character-focused, like the one um, – you did the, the, the BoJack and Princess Carolyn at the restaurant episode, right? Those were those yeah. years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember there are moments in that that it's just the two of them talking in the restaurant where really you want to just look at their faces and these subtle micro-expressions, these subtle changes. And so this felt like a, a good opportunity to have an episode full of that, to really just be about how much can we convey visually with this animated character making different faces. Yeah. It, it, if you Google Bojack, uh, mostly that one face he makes in this episode comes <laughs> up as like the top result. Uh-huh. A face that, that kind of Amy and her team was right in the boards and yeah, went that right was, through. That was drawn uh, by Peter Merriman, my <laughs> husband. <laughs> which which face is that? <laughs> He's doing the toy dinosaur impression yeah, of his mother. Yeah, if you Google Bojack now, that's like the number one image result. <laughs> Ironically, he would hate that. <laughs> real life. Yeah, it's like it does, thing. Yeah. yeah, it does kind of come around like the shows become real life. He hates in the show. He hates that when picture, yeah, yeah. sneezing picture that when people talk about him on the news, they throw up the sneezing picture. And then in real life now, if you Google him, that, that picture? awful picture comes up. <laughs> life imitates art. <laughs> Uh, since you mentioned hearing Arnett's kind of table read and knowing that, you know, you had a good solid foundation to, to kind of start from and that this was going to work, how much of his performance was directly from your script and how much of it was him kind of maybe playing around in the recording booth a little bit or back and forth collaboration? Uh, very little. I mean, uh, he, we don't, we do a little bit of improv on the show, but not much. Um, you know, the, the episode's structurally scripted pretty tightly. Um, and, you know, he has a lot of leeway in his performance of when to pause and when, you know, how to emphasize certain things. But it was it was mostly as scripted. And we really didn't do that many takes. I mean, this is such a behemoth of an episode to record in one sitting. You know, usually uh, we'll have an actor in 
and there'll be, you know, half of like three scenes and we'll get it done in like 20 minutes. I mean, Will usually has more than our average actor because he's a big part of every episode, but this was just, you know, we knew if we got like five to seven takes of every paragraph, it would go all day. So I really just kind of let him go and he would just, he just did it. You know, I don't want to say cold. I think he worked on it a little on his own. Um, but he, you know, similar to the table read, he kind of read through it and he would go for like a couple pages and then I'd say, okay, you want to go back and maybe try a different version of some of that. And he'd, he'd, you know, he'd go, oh yeah, this, this, this part, I didn't really nail, do that again. If he, he took very little direction, he, it really is his interpretation of the script. And I think he really felt it and, and connected with it, you know, having played the character for this long and, and, and this many years and, and understanding that relationship that he has with his mother and also with himself and the other things he talked about. Um, and so I really just kind of let him be, uh, and 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 I don't I don't think I gave much direction at all. It's a real tour de force performance. He won an Annie Award for yeah. it for his performance, and this is a guy who's done a ton of voiceover. You know, he's Batman and all these other kind of memorable characters, and and this is his performance that he won his first Annie Award yes. for for voiceover. <laughs> Yeah, and I definitely want to get into the awards talk uh, in a little bit, maybe to close the conversation out. But before that, did he do, uh, did he have to come back to do any ADR? Was there anything you guys wanted to kind of punch up or, or work on after no, the fact? No, I don't think so. I, I think what you're hearing is from that first day. Yeah, it's really interesting and fun um, working on a fifth season of a show versus a first season. As far as ADR and making those noises, we have such a... Um, Library of, of, of Bojack grunts of noise whines and whinnies. Yeah, yeah. At this point, uh, I've read stuff about the Simpsons, and they have the same thing. Like if they need Homer to yeah. make some particular, like they have does, like a whole rainbow, <laughs> rainbow of, of does, of does. A rainbow. <laughs> like he can, he does. They have it in every emotion, like every possible thing. Like what if he's in Ireland and he's faking an Irish accent and he does a doe or something. <laughs> I also think generally, you know, I, I haven't worked on other animated shows. That's not true. I've worked on a couple of <laughs> but I, I haven't worked on other animated shows that I'm not the executive producer of. So I, I don't know how it, how it normally goes, but generally we don't do a lot of ADR. We do a, a, a couple pickups here and there, but I, I you know, I, I think on, on other animated shows, they do a lot of reworking in the boards and they, and they, if jokes aren't working, they'll try to beat them and they'll, bring the actors back in and we, we generally don't do that as much i think part of the reason is our scripts are very long uh we we record long and almost every episode has like three minutes more of material than we can afford yeah. to animate mm -hmm. and so if a joke isn't working we just cut it out and squeeze the episode and so we're, we're always kind of taking things away and making it tighter and tighter and tighter we're not necessarily looking to replace stuff with other things yeah. there, there was one instance uh this season, I don't think it's a spoiler. Season working working on now, where I had, I wanted to pitch a particular joke that Allison Bree would deliver a line with her mouth full, because I just thought it would be because right. they were eating, eating, and then she's like caught off guard, and she, I thought it'd be funny if she answered with a mouth full of food, and so I went to Raphael, I was like, can I please, <laughs> can you please bring Allison Bree back in so she can pretend she has a mouthful of food to record this line, right? And that's the kind of thing that like. We did, because she was coming in any way to record another episode. Yeah. But if it was, like, a guest actress or something, and, you know, who only we only managed to get that one time. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna call, like, Angelica Houston's agent. She's going to come back and she's going to say the line again with a sandwich in her mouth. 
jumping back to the script again for a little bit, because honestly, there's a ton of focus on it in this particular episode. Was this kind of like, I don't know how it normally works or if it was different for this specific episode, but was this an all hands on deck kind of situation or was it, uh, Raphael very much kind of from you? From the beginning. Yeah, no, I would say it's, it's every script is all hands on deck as far as the writers are concerned. I mean, we, we, we break every episode in, in the room together. We talk about the story. Uh, we talk about the different beats of the story. You know, in this case, we actually watched, we hunted down an old episode of Maud, uh, which we referenced in the episode where she's just talking to her therapist for a whole half hour. And that was really instructive to talk about it, to look at like, oh, how, how did they structure this monologue? And we kind of saw like, oh, like a normal episode of Maud, there is an A story and a B story and a C story here. It's just she's telling all the stories. And so she'll talk about this for a little bit, and then she'll kind of get distracted and wander over to this area of the room and talk about that. And that was really helpful in thinking of the structure of the episode. Okay, you know, we're going to have this A story here, which is Bojack's mother uh, before she died told Bojack, I see you. And that's going to kind of be his home base, and he's going to keep coming back to that. But meanwhile, he's going to talk about other stuff. He's going to talk about his own, his father's death, uh, and he's going to talk about his relationship with show business. And there's other things we're kind of sprinkling in, uh, but it's helpful to kind of know we had some recurring themes or stories that on a regular episode would be their own scenes or sequences, but in this it was just conversational. Um, so we talked, we kind of broke it out like a, a normal episode of the show. And then I, I went off and wrote it. Um, and I had, I'd been writing, um, I wrote a book of short stories recently. Uh, and I guess I was writing it at the same time as, as this season. Uh, and so I was kind of used to that form of just one narrator or one person talking for paragraphs at a time. Uh, and, and I'd done uh, a live show here in L.A. where I had different readers uh, read some of my stories out loud. So I had a good sense of how much, how many pages it took to make about 25 minutes of talking time. So that, that was helpful because otherwise the script format wouldn't really help in the same way because it's such a different thing. Uh, and so as I was writing it, I would then take breaks and read the whole thing out loud myself and make sure I wasn't going way too long or way too <laughs> short. Because uh, that was a fear that I'd write this thing and then you'd record it, it'd be like 12 minutes. Like, How did that go so fast? I thought there was more. Or that it would be like 45 minutes. We would have filled it in with animal jokes. Oh, yeah. We would have found uh, background gags. Uh, oh, yeah. A lot of. Uh, we would have gotten that, that rainbow of Homer dough. When I was going to board it, I I was aware of this sort of change in these sort of. Like like Raphael was saying, how they kind of shifted focus to these different stories, and I tried to change the angle at that time just mm -hmm. to kind of also give it a formal break, yeah, uh, and and keep you kind of engaged. So we would turn to like a an angle that has Beatrice's casket in it, just you know, weight that heavily toward Beatrice, that sort of thing, just to reflect what you'd written. Yeah, and that was great, too, because it kind of did draw, like, Arnett's performance keeps you focused, obviously, on it, but the, the way the animation, the angle of the camera kind of changes, that keeps you kind of drawn in and kind of unable to look away, for better or worse. Um, this episode, it, it feels like a kind of uncorked uh, a bottle of, like, a lifetime of pain that, that Bojack had been holding on to, but it also, at the same time, feels like it kind of reveals Bojack when he's at his worst, so kind of... The, the sympathetic side of him and also like this, uh, not, not villainous, but just kind of jerk side of him. So how was there any difficulty in finding the balance 
uh, in the script or was it just kind of more of a, you know, turn on that emotional faucet and just let all that stuff come out? Yeah, I think it was very organic. I mean, we don't put a lot of thought necessarily into, occasionally we do, like is, is Bojack becoming too much of a jerk ass here uh, versus are we feeling bad for him? But I think not so much in this episode. It's, it's interesting to hear you describe it that way because I I have a tremendous amount of empathy for him in this episode. And I, I think the things he's saying are, yes, I guess in the context of a person speaking at his mother's funeral are perhaps inappropriate. But I think in the context of what, our audience understands about his relationship with his mother and, you know, all he's done to get to this place. I, I, it's not a concern I had for this episode that we would, we would lose the audience or they would, they would hate him uh, for what he's saying or what he's doing here. I mean, they've come to this this far. He's done much worse things uh, than speak ill of his dead mother. Uh, Something else that I think is a strength of the show and not just in this episode, but I mean, all the episodes you've made so far, and I'm sure the episodes to come is that, Sometimes something that happens in the story will kind of hit you in an unexpected way. And obviously that's going to be different for everybody who's watching it. But, you know, sometimes even the jokes hit close to home uh, for certain people. So, for example, uh, Bojack's last line in this particular episode reveals that he's been giving this eulogy for for 20 some minutes to the wrong funeral parlor, which I thought was a great stinger kind of at the end of it. But without dragging the mood down too much. I actually had a very similar experience uh, kind of happen to me. So <laughs> while I was no kidding, yeah, while I was kind of laughing at that and was like, "Oh, that's a great thing," it also kind of like you know sucker punched me too at the same time. So I'm wondering. Can you, yeah, well, sure. Hold on, can you tell us about your very similar experience? I'm yeah, very uh, I mean, like I said, I didn't want to depress everybody, but essentially, a couple months before this uh, episode aired, my grandfather had passed away, and it was out of state. So I, right. I traveled, um, you know, to see the family and, and go to the service, and our wires got crossed. I ended up at the wrong funeral home, which was the same name, just a different location in the small town, and I kind of walked in on a family who was having a memorial service for their newborn baby who had just passed away. And that was one of the most mortifying things maybe (laughs) in my life. Uh, Because what do you do in that moment? You know, you're not prepared for that ever. Uh, Yes. I was a little heavy, but honestly the, the, that moment in Bojack was kind of, it caught me off guard, but it also was nice at the same time. Cause I was just kind of like, okay, (laughs) we we can laugh about that and get over that. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm, I'm very sorry for your loss and, and for that lost. other loss. Everyone's lost at this point. Yeah, that, I appreciate that. I'm just so sorry that life is so cruel in general. Yeah, those yeah. twists. You never <laughs> see them coming. Don't be the alternative. That's true. That is true. But that kind of does feed into my question. Um, how much of Bojack's experiences, how much of the other characters' experiences, I don't know if you can really put a number on it, but... How much of that is pulled directly from the writers, the creative teams, kind of like their own painful personal experiences as far as like catharsis? And how much of it is um, you guys kind of theorizing, like maybe like a worst case scenario at times? Well, I have to say that is a Raphael question, but I will just interject. Raphael has written and supervised the writing of some of the darkest shit that has ever been done in animation. <laughs> yeah. But he also is the voice of Charlie Witherspoon this goofy frog and that is basically him <laughs> what do you mean that's basically me how is how is that basically me i he, saw you fall off a yoga ball once that's true <laughs> charlie's pension for physical unintentional physical comedy is very much very autobiographical um i i said recently i just did a, a reddit ama and someone asked me which character would i most relate to 
I said a little bit Bojack, a little bit Diane, but mostly Charlie Witherspoon, <laughs> because like him, I also believe that being a boss is hard, uh, and I also don't like getting yelled at, and that's just something that people need to understand about me. Those, those, those lines are very autobiographical, and when we were doing uh, whatever episode those were in, we were doing the, like, the, the cut of it, and it was you know three minutes over. And the editor was saying, you know, we could cut this line about how Charlie doesn't like getting yelled at. I was like, no. <laughs> that is the heart and soul of this show. Yeah, the whole series. The whole series. It's, it's very important. Our audience connects to this moment. So I think this will really speak to a lot of people who also don't like getting yelled at. Um, but to answer your question, I, I think I'd say very little of it is plot-wise autobiographical to me and the writers, but maybe some parts of it are emotionally autobiographical or we, you know, we, we can extrapolate out of, off of how we feel about certain things or situations or relationships and kind of build from there. You know, it is very much like this logic machine that we've built up of like, okay, we have this character now and we've seen how this character reacts to stuff. So therefore, if we put this character in this situation... Bing, bong, boom, bong, boom. You know, what? Yeah. You know, follow the ping pong ball as it bounces around this domino rally. Um, I would say this show, too, is like more, it's like autobiographical of society today. There's not a lot of shows, not a lot of cartoons where, you know, Bojack is reacting to the Me Too era. He's reacting to gun violence. He's reacting to a lot of the things that are happening in our society. Are, are you implying this is the first satirical cartoon show? <laughs> no, like that's reacting in somewhat real time. Well, Amy has worked on South Park. So I don't know if Amy would agree with that. <laughs> we could react to things overnight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we, we can beat that. There was also Mary Worth. Yes, Mary Worth was very topical. Okay, so, so I, guess my, I guess my point is that this is just another show. <laughs> Please give us an Emmy. <laughs> Like other shows before us, we also do this thing. <laughs> but certainly there are a lot of moments that, you know, the script arrives to me like fully formed, but I would relate to things that are in that script and it, it would help me inform the acting yeah. and what's going on in that. And that was a that was a good part of Bojack. I'm I mean I'm curious actually, when you guys board the characters or animate it, like how often do you like look in a mirror or like record yourself making faces or think about like, yeah, how would I say this line or how, how does, how do my eyebrows move? I have a wonderful assistant director this season, Chris Nance. Yeah. And he does that all the time. Really? He has recorded himself doing one armed, uh, like, uh, somersault, not somersaults. What is it? Um, cartwheels? winter, cartwheels. winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen him dancing around. Uh -huh. I've observed you. Uh, giggling and dancing around. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's very interesting because I always want to get up and get physical too. I do it with our editors when yeah. we're like, I'm just looking around. Me and Raphael do it a lot in yeah, edit too, where I just, I, because me and Raphael came from live performance comedy, right? And I just stand up and put a hand out, right? And I don't even think about it. It's like, get up and join me. Mm -hmm. Let's act this out. And then it's kind of, I know kind of I, my favorite uh, victim, I mean, um, collaborator <laughs> is another one of our directors, Aaron Long, because I know like I can fall on him yeah. and like grab him around the waist and shake him and everything uh. to like 
try to like go like this is what they need to do. Like he I needs feel to... like I'm gonna hear yeah. this like on a witness stand. I know. Like evidence number one. I've had awkward moments where I've been like sexy Aquafina. She put her leg up like this on the table, and I'd be like, "Ooh, this is a little weird." <laughs> Sorry, storyboard artist. But yeah, like that. But that brings us back to Chris Nance. Like I just love. I came down there and he has his iPhone out and he was recording himself doing all of these acrobatics and stuff. And I was like, I was like, this is, I, 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 this is what I want everybody to be doing. I just love it so much. I was like, it's hard to like express how much I appreciate him without seeming like I'm singling him out and like making a spectacle of him. dancing <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we we try to do that. So the movements are very autobiographical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can recognize a board artist acting. Really, like it, it's very That's obvious funny. to me who has boarded a scene by how they're holding their hands, what they're doing. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. The, it is very clear. And I was uh, in a meeting with Amy just recently. I was like, and you know what I I want here? You know what I always want in every situation like this? And she's like, you want him to wring his hands, like where you kind of rub your hand over the knuckles of like your other hand. Like I say, hands. I can recognize everybody's scene. I think hand wringing, bring, it, it says a lot. When you're no. sitting there kind of wringing your hands, you're like, oh, I'm like really in my head. I, I had to nervous. make an, an edict halfway through this season, uh, which has now become a, a strong moratorium <laughs> on uh, finger quoting. Because I noticed that oftentimes when a character was talking for a while, and they emphasized a certain word, or they were had some sort of, you know, feeling about a certain word. Uh, the the go to was always, oh, give them a little finger quote. <laughs> People don't use finger quotes that often. Finger Who quotes was? are uh, a favorite move yeah. of uh, the modern American storyboarder. <laughs> <laughs> and I was joking with uh, Raphael and Amy that one day in one scene, a character is going to reference so many things in a row that he just keeps finger quoting and he just starts lifting up off the ground and fly away <laughs> with his finger quotes. <laughs> you are all absolutely delightful, by the way. Uh, before I run out of time with you, uh, we, I definitely want to talk uh, the Emmy nomination. So you're up for an Emmy for this particular episode, but yeah. uh, you guys already won an Annie Award, a Critics' Choice Award this year. So what would an Emmy mean to you and the creative team? And then how would that compare to maybe getting, say, a free churro? <laughs> Churro, you can eat. Yeah, we Several. could. We could. We could be. We could have the elusive K or Ace. <laughs> Ace Award is something else. <laughs> By Annie, Critics' Choice Emmy. That's that's what everyone wants. Perfect. You want Ace. Well, what would yeah. that actually mean to you and the uh, the creative team? Since you've been nominated before, uh, but this could be your first win. So, what would that mean to you guys? Well, we've never. We've actually never been nominated as a show for an Emmy. Oh, um, Kristen Shaw was nominated for oh, her right, voice right. work. Future's back, uh, and that's that's our sole Emmy nomination prior to this. So it's very exciting to be nominated. Um, you know, what does it mean? You know, it's always nicer to be nominated than not nominated, and it's always nicer to win than to not win. You know, my my general uh, feeling about award shows that I've been to in the past is always that you know when you win, yeah, it's a great time. What a joy! You're celebrating there. And when you lose, the whole thing feels very stupid. And, like, why does anyone care about any of this? This is boring. I want to go home. Uh, and we've lost many things many times. So I'm well-practiced in that. Um, but it's exciting. I think it's good, right? Raphael, yeah. will you uh, rent a tux? I probably will rent a tux, Yeah, right. which I usually don't. 
at the, la- at the last Critics' Choice Awards, which we've won three times, mm-hmm. Raphael became late in his pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, the thing about the Critics' Choice, well, we didn't win the previous year, so I thought it was I thought our streak had ended. So we, we'd won twice in a row, I think, and then we lost. Uh, and so I was like, all right, well, it's over for us. Who cares? Um, this is going to be boring. But then we won. I was like, what a great show. What a fun. Well, how nice to be honored by the critics. Yeah. Uh, but also, at the Critics' Choice Awards, you don't give a speech if you win for Best Animated Show. Yeah. So it didn't matter what I wore. Uh, at the Creative Arts Emmys, where we're nominated, I think I will give a speech if we win, right? It will just not be televised. Yes, I think it's televised on FXX. Oh, oh, great. I got to tell my grandmother. Tune in. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Don't bother, Grandma. (laughs) But yes, uh, Raphael is, you know, listen, he's a, what does he need this for? He's one of uh, America's top uh, typewriter dudes, people. Typewriter dudes? Top writer? Top writer. (laughs) But if we win, I will take this Emmy. I will mount to the hood of my car and I will drive through my old high school and and aim the, aim the Emmy at my enemies. <laughs> You're very sharp. Yes. Maybe <laughs> what about you? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it's shiny. And yeah. That's always good. That's always good. Seems like it's good for making juice. Yeah, like you can really juice. Oh man. Yeah. 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 It seems like you get a real good. If yeah. you if you an Emmy, are you going to demand people start calling you Emmy Amy? Oh, shoot, that does sound pretty good. Okay, I think you're right. yeah, yeah. Or Emmy, Emmy Winfrey. Emmy, yeah. <laughs> Emmy Winfrey, yes. Yeah. I think I think Oprah probably already has the copyright on Emmy Winfrey. <laughs> <laughs> that belongs to her. Oh man. Oh well. <laughs> Uh, my last question for you guys today. Um, in this episode, Bojack says during his eulogy, and I'm paraphrasing, you never get a happy ending because there's always more show, at least until there isn't. So I have to ask, is there an endgame in plan uh, planned for Bojack Horseman, whether it's a happy one or not? Or are you just going to kind of ride this as long as you can? Um, yeah, I think you'll have to keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think life doesn't necessarily have an end game. I mean, it's always been my vision of this show that, you know, we, we would keep working on it as long as it was interesting or as long as we felt like we had stories to tell. And we're not necessarily driving towards one specific end point. You know, this isn't like uh, a breaking bad where it is like, you know, the, the rise and fall of a single guy or this is the specific arc we've been telling all along. You know, I think the show exists life like life exists and, and sometimes things might stop abruptly or sometimes things might slowly fade out. And I think it kind of depends where we're at when the show ends, where we'll leave the characters. And I think you'll have to keep watching to find out when that is. All right. That's a fantastic tease. Thank you guys so much for taking time out to talk to me today and best of luck with the, uh, the awards coming up. What a pleasure. What a treat. Thanks again.